This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Jesus said, when you pray to the disciples, pray what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth now as it is in heaven. And the early church got it. And they got it to such a degree that they devoted their hearts to it. They sacrificed their possessions for it, their careers, their homes. They gave it all up. They lived and died for it. And they did it with extreme joy. They did it laughing and weeping and dancing, unable to fathom their good fortune that they could be part of the kingdom of God coming to earth. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. This is Today with Jeff Vines. In the message we're about to begin, Jeff talks about the ending of everything. That may sound a little dramatic, but he'll explain how our view of eternity should define the way we live right now. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff. Now, this is a great way to start our time together because we've been in the series called Gospel in Life. And here's what we've been saying all along, that if the gospel truly penetrates your heart, it's going to impact the way you live. It can't help. It comes from the inside out. So I want to take you to two passages of Scripture, Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, one of my favorite books in the Bible, the very last book in the Bible, and remind us together that Depending on what happens to us on the inside, as Christ penetrates our lives, it is going to change the way we look at our community, our neighborhoods, each other. The things that we chase after are going to change. The things that we pursue, the things that we go so hard after. And we learned last week that the beauty of it is, is the more God gets into you and this intimate relationship is formed, then the more your heart is going to become like his heart which makes sense then, you would have a heart for the poor, the less fortunate, that you would spend your life fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. And that's what Skylar's basically done. She wanted her parents to move past pity and emotion into action and actually do something to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, only they did it for two and continue, continue to still do it. Now, there's one more area that we've got to get right. Now, obviously, there's a lot of areas, but there's one area as we end the series that if we can come to terms with it, then the gospel would have truly penetrated our lives to the nth degree, and then we're going to go out and change the world because of it. And it's this one area here. It's making up your mind about what you believe about how this is all going to end. How is it all going to end? I read an article in a journal this past week, the Journal of American Medical Association, the title of the article said, test helps you predict chances of dying. I don't need to read that. It's 100%. You are going to die. The ratio has always been, always will be, one death per person. 
And it's not only that you and I are going to die, right? The whole planet is going to go up in smoke. It's a scientific fact. You don't need the Bible to tell you that. Entropy increases. We are running out of energy. Sooner or later, the sun is not going to shine anymore, and you are not going to shine anymore. We'll be no more. Everything, including you and me, we are moving toward death, not life, right? You look in the mirror, you know that. You're not getting younger, you're getting older. You say, well, Jeff, do we have to talk about this? Absolutely. Larry King was once asked by another reporter, if you could interview anybody in history, who would it be? He said, Jesus Christ. And the reporter said, why would you interview Jesus? He said, I would want to ask him the one question I've always wanted to ask, were you indeed virgin born? And he said, because the answer to that question would define history for me. Well, how would that define world history? Because it would tell you that what Jesus came to teach was actually real. That God is restoring all things. That one day the king will return and will undo the damage and the taintedness sin has caused in our universe. And this is where the gospel truly impacts you. What do you believe about eternity? Because the way you answer that question will determine how you live right now. Two men, I tell this story often, that were interviewed for a job. Both got it. One told, was told they're going to pay 20000 be paid $20,000 at the end of the year. The other is told he's going to be paid $2 million at the end of the year. They both work 80 hours a week, same job, boring, no vacation time, working with difficult people, a boss that is controlling, a culture of fear and intimidation. In other words, the jobs that you have. <laughs> After three weeks, how will the person who's going to be paid 20 grand at the end of the year going to be responding? He's going to be divisive, complaining, and exhausted. But what if you're the one who's going to be paid $2 million at the end of the year? You're going to think this job is a breeze. Why? Reactions to the same conditions are different based on what? The belief and the outcome. What is going to happen next? Christopher Reeves, the guy who played Superman, was an American icon, a man's man, and then was involved in an equestrian accident paralyzed from neck down. And people wondered how he was going to respond from going to Superman to confined to a wheelchair. And Christopher Reeves responded by saying, the only way I could ever go on is if I'm certain that one day I'm going to walk again. That's the only way I could survive. So the question is, if the gospel gets into you and me, then what does it tell you about what is yet to come? Because that's going to determine really how you live now. If you don't really believe that, Man, you're going to live differently, but if you truly believe that the kingdom of God is coming, that everything's going to be restored, it's going to change how you live in the here and now. So let me walk you through this. What does the Bible teach about eternity? It is described in the book of Revelation, starting with chapter 21, verse 2. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So we have a city that's wearing a dress. But what kind of dress is it? Guys, you'll know what this was like. Remember when you got married and all of a sudden you turned with your best man in the wedding party and the bride started coming down the aisle? Do you remember what you thought? Well, some of it you can't say, but <laughs> your first thought should have been what? This is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life. Your second thought was probably, why on earth is she marrying me? And the third thought was probably, I've been waiting for this all my life. This is what I've been waiting for. So the Bible says that when it comes to the kingdom that will come, eternity, that we're going to be standing like the, like the groom waiting for the bride. And we're going to say, here comes the kingdom in full dress. Finally, the day I've been waiting for all of my life. So we have a city and a dress. Then we have a city that's 
has interesting measurements. Verse 12, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Then skipping down to verse 16, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. Did anybody notice any pattern in those passages? The number 12. That's because this is apocalyptic literature. It means that you look for the sign and the symbol, not so much the reality. So the point is not giving us actual measurements of any city. It's trying to show us a very basic truth. The number seven in scripture refers to perfection. The number 10 refers to completion. And the number 12 always refers to the people of God, 12 apostles, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. So the writer's trying to show you that this is a city, not of these exact measurements, but it's a city conducive for the people of God. It's built for the people of God. 12 gates, 12 angels, 12 foundations. Can a city have 12 foundations? No, it's not the point. 12,000 stadia long, wide and high. 144 is a multiple of 12 cubits thick. The message is simple. This city that is coming, this kingdom that is coming, is built for the people of God, conducive to the people of God, in celebration of the people of God. No aspect of it is outside the realm of the people of God. So when my wife, 10 years ago, when we moved to Los Angeles, said, Jeff, get in the car, let's go find a house, I knew what she really meant. You keep your mouth shut, and if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. And let's go find a house. And she found her perfect house out in Upland. God is building the perfect place for his people, the people of God. It will be conducive for the people of God. Where the creation, the Bible tells us, has been subjected to frustration, where right now the creation doesn't fully cooperate with us, one day in the new kingdom it will fully cooperate with us. And it will be the way God originally intended it to be before sin entered the world. Revelation 21, a powerful verse of scripture, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there's no longer any sea. And if you recall our Revelation series, I explained to you how there are two different Greek words for new. One, kainos, and one, neos. One means brand new, the other means renewed, refurbished. And the word that is used to describe this new kingdom is always the word for not something that is brand new, but something that is renovated. Not brand spanking new, but the refurbishing, restoration of all that has been lost. And if you think about our world right now, there's so much good in it. So much wonder, so much beauty. Victoria Falls, Musio Tuno, the smoke that thunders, a beautiful place on a beautiful planet. Australia's outback, peace and serenity. It's like you've left planet Earth and you stepped into another world. The mountains of New Zealand, I lived 10 years in New Zealand, and I can tell you, yes, it rains a lot, but it's filled with breathtaking scenery. I lived in Africa for 10 years, and it's lands where the animals roam make you feel like almost that you've returned to the Garden of Eden. And then there are animals of the great deep, the whales and the dolphins, that when you see them, you think to yourself, only God could make this creature. And then there are other creatures that are quite mysterious, as if God just took a day and had some fun. <laughs> you've heard me say that Hawaii is where God vacations, Southern California is where God lives, and Tennessee is where God eats. C.S. Lewis said, life on earth is a few moments of happy love, landscapes, a symphony, merry meetings with friends, a bath, or a football match. 
Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Everything we see in the here and now is a great deposit. It's a deposit, a deposit of what will one day come. There's so much good in the world, but it's been tainted by sin, and that's why these very things I just mentioned, if you're not careful, can kill you. You can get killed in the mountains and on the ocean and in the outback and in Africa. But there's so much good. The world teaches us, though, that even though there's so much good, there's an evil prince on the loose. 1 John 5, 19 says, we know that we're the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The world would never admit allegiance to this prince, but we continue to follow his lead. Love is the, the love of money, rather, is the root of all evil. So we step on each other. 99.9% .9 of the pain and suffering in this world is what we do to each other. Revenge is the theme of the day. What rules our world? India's caste system, where you're born into a, a specific caste or, or family and you're automatically relegated to a lower rung on the ladder. In India, they even have the, what, are, what are called the untouchables. You're not even allowed to be around them to touch them. Africa has its tribal superiority where the tribes fight for position still today. America has its racism. Asia has its economic prejudices. And the Bible says that there's a king. But right now there's a prince that is the ruler of the air. In fact, the best way to explain this is the story of Robin Hood. Do you remember it? It's just... Hang with me here. King Richard is away, and he's fighting for the safety and freedom of his people. While he's away, Prince John, Richard's brother, takes the throne. He usurps it, and he's a bad king. If you know the story, he abuses the throne. He oppresses the people. He makes false promises. He creates insatiable lust. He rules with such an iron fist that most people give up hope that any other kingdom ever existed. But it's not really his kingdom. It's King Richard's kingdom, and he's fighting to protect it. So a band of people get together, those who love and are faithful to King Richard, and they go about their everyday lives shouting to the people on the streets, this Prince John who has assumed the throne is not the real king. This is not the way the land is supposed to be. This is not the way things are supposed to be. Don't fall for this. It's temporary. There is hope. One day all this will change when the king returns and claims what is rightfully his. And so this band of outlaws, you remember the story? They live in the forest. They're kind of weird people. They assist other people to free them from the shackles of Prince John. And they're kind of a, a type of people that live away from their real homes and the real comforts and their real identity. They're, they're aliens because they're loyal. They don't look anything like Prince John's kingdom because they're loyal to King Richard, the true king. Now, if you know the story, what happens in the climactic point of Robin Hood? King Richard sends them a message, these loyal followers who've remained loyal to the real true king. And he says to them, I'm going to return and I'm going to take you to a new place and we will escape this hell hole that John has created. We will abandon this horrible land and we'll all live together somewhere else in peace and harmony. Is that the Robin Hood story? Nah. Everything but the last part. The story is not that King Richard takes them all away to a totally brand new place. The real Robin Hood story is that King Richard comes back and reclaims his land, what is rightfully his. It's his kingdom. 
He reclaims what truly belongs to him. He casts out his enemies. He gathers those who have continued to live under his rule. Those who refuse to give their allegiance to the prince. They honor the true king with their words and their actions. And King Richard returns and reestablishes his kingdom. It's the same geographical location. It's just renewed and restored for the old order of things. Prince John's kingdom has passed away. And now King Richard is going to live with his people, those who were loyal in harmony and love and peace and justice. Does that sound familiar? The Christian story is not that God is going to return and take us away from this place to some eerie, eerie place between Venus and Mars. That's not the language of the Bible. The early church followers knew this. They were, they were not banking on going to heaven when they died. Now, they knew absent from the body was to be present with the Lord in spirit, but the real heaven is not eerie, fiery place. It's the restored kingdom. It's a return to the garden, the way things were originally supposed to be. That's why sometimes we Christians are laughed at when we, when we say that heaven is somewhere way out there. I can't remember who it was that said, I've been to outer space and there is no God and there is no heaven. Well, you're looking in the wrong place. It's not there. Can I remind you that when God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, he looked at it and he said, it is good. Before sin tainted the creation, what did God say? This is good. In the words of Bruce Almighty, good, good, good. The creation is good. It's just been tainted. There's so much good. You know what tainted is, right? Tainted is when you've been training for a marathon and you've lived in New Zealand and you really want to run this marathon and so you run 22 miles the last week before the event occurs and it's hot outside and you're thirsty and you're sweating and you run into your refrigerator in the kitchen and you open it and you see your favorite drink, a tall, tall, cold chocolate milk. And before you think, you just take it and you swig it and it's going down. It feels so cold and good at first. And then after you've, what's the past tense of swig? Swig? After you've gotten the whole thing down and you take your first breath, you realize that this milk has tainted. And suddenly, as fast as it went down, it comes back up. Only it comes through your nose and your ears and your eyes. It catapults out. Chocolate milk is a beautiful, wonderful thing until it gets tainted. The world is a beautiful place, but it's been tainted by sin. But the Bible teaches that when the king returns, he's going to restore all that has been lost. Revelation 21, 4 says there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order, that's what's going to pass away and move. The sin that's tainted all things. Somebody's hijacked the world system. Devastated the world order, but the real king has the last move, and he's going to remove the effects of sin and death and will bring ultimate restoration. Look at what Revelation 22 says. It's pretty clear. He says, then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life, tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. Yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Same planet, same heavens and earth, restored, renewed, curses removed. The early Christians understood this. They'd already begun to think in those terms. So, what does that mean then? Here are the questions we have to ask. If eternity's coming, okay, 
if it's coming, if the kingdom of God is going to come in full force, what is it going to look like? And second, how can you and I, as the gospel penetrates our lives, convince the rest of the world that it's real? How can we convince them that this is coming, it's real? Hold your head up high. Let your allegiance be for the king that is to come, not the prince of the power of the air. Well, the first thing you got to do is, how is the kingdom that has come, how is it going to change anything? What's going to be different when the kingdom of God comes in full force? And we read in scripture three things. Number one, the sphere of economics and human need will change. Right now we have people who are starving, people who are hunger and poverty. But Revelation says, says they will neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, the prophet Amos said something similar all the way back in the Old Testament. He said, the days are coming when the one who plows will be overtaken by the one who reaps, where new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. In other words, there'll be such a bounty that it will take so long to reap and gather up that before the end of reaping comes, it will be time to plow again. And then he says, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I'm not saying that Chardonnay is going to drip from Mount Baldy. I'm simply saying... This is an image of God's abundance. Now, here's what I started thinking, though. Wait a minute. Does that mean there's going to be more food in the kingdom to come? There's a man by the name of Lee Strobel who used to write for the Chicago Tribune. He was, a, he was an atheist, and he came to Christ because all, all, all of his questions were answered. The, only, the, only the Christian worldview was coherent in his mind. Only it made sense. And he writes, People look at famine and wonder where God is, but the world produces enough food for each person to have 3,000 calories a day. It is our own irresponsibility and self-centeredness that prevents people from getting fed. God has provided more than we need on planet Earth. It's the abuse of government and people. Do you remember what God said to Israel when Israel said, give us a king? God said, you sure you want a king to govern you? What will change then in the kingdom that is to come? What will change is that God will be the king. And he will rule and he will be a king of a staggering generosity, incredible provision, having demonstrated that and given up his own son so that he wouldn't lose you. Imagine him being in charge of everything. And the first church knew, however, that they could give people a glimpse of that kingdom by the way they live now. And so in Acts chapter 2, we read all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They knew that their property and possessions was all given by God anyway, and one day everything they need is going to be provided. So the sphere of economics and human need would be transformed in the kingdom. Second, the sphere of politics will be altered. Can you say amen? amen? In human history, the sphere of politics has been the story of human conflict. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. People don't like to hear this, but if you know anything about history at all, you know societies break down as soon as the family starts to break down. We don't want to admit that because we don't want to suggest for a moment that there's something bad about the breakdown of the family because we want to do what we want to do. All I'm saying is go ahead and do what you want to do. But the breakdown of society begins when the family begins to crumble. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts.
today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.